Well, that song is uh, what biblical Christianity is all about, isn't it? You alone can save us. And that's um, the great message of the gospel, that it's only Jesus who can save our lives from the consequences of our sin, from hell, from the judgment and the wrath of God, because he took it out. When he was on the cross, he paid the price for us. And therefore, it's by grace you've been saved. It's not of your works. And, and, and when we gather around God's word, we come with that, that belief in mind. We come with that trust that really only, he's, he's, Jesus is the only one we have to save us. And because of that, it's not, not your background. It's not your income. It's not your family. It's not your race. It's not, um, all the good things you've done or all the bad things you've done. It's only because of the work of Christ in your life. And so we come here grateful, we come here worshipful, um, thanking the Lord for what he's done and open and expectant and available to him on what he wants, what he would want to do in our lives. You know, Paul engaged and invested his life in the gospel. He was sold out to it. The greatest news of history, uh, in the history of humanity. And he said, if all of this is true, and because all of this is true, what's our response? What is going to be our response? And he said... For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Remember memorizing that? Hopefully you are. We're on our eighth verse. Um, but, but it's that whole picture. He was totally sold out to it. And, and this evening, as we get into um, Philippians chapter 3, and I really want to ask you, if you don't have a Bible, go grab one as we're getting started so you can see it right there for you. But in, in Philippians 3, he's, he's going to really scale the depths and motives and intentions and attitudes of the core, into the core of our identity, of who we are, who we think we are, and what we're all about. And so, um, the, at the end of this message, what, what I'm really going to focus on is what really Paul's focusing on. The end is really a heart that beats for more of God, a yearning to know more of Him, versus this self-made concoction of religion and self-help to to project my image at the expense of reflecting God's. And so what we want to do as we get into this is just, again, remember what's happening in this book. Paul is going to tell us it's all about Christ. And your life must be, as a follower of Christ, Christ-directed, God-glorifying. And so he's in prison in Rome as he writes this letter. And, in, and he writes it back to a church he was terribly fond of and, in, in, and loved with a great affection of Christ. A church he started, if you want to look back at Acts chapter 16, that's where he started it. And, and he makes this appraisal of all things, in, in the appraisal of everything and all things, Christ wins. Christ wins at one in his life. And he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, doing nothing out of rivalry or conceit, doing everything without grumbling or complaining or questioning, looking looking out for the, the uh, interests of Jesus Christ. So with that said, let's just start reading. We're going to look at 11 verses, first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3. It says this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To, re- to write these same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
though, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, well, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Okay, let's just uh, summarize what happens and just follow this progression. He's writing them what he's warning the church at that time, that, that first century church was prone to believe. And that was that they had false teachers who came up and said, no, 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 it's not just about Christ, it's Christ and. It's believing in Christ and being obedient to the law. So, so he was going to say, Okay, I've written this before. It's for your joy. Watch out. Look out. Look out for these people. He was warning against those caught in religion, in a religion of works, over a relationship of grace. And he was, he was really instructing them, do not try to tally up a record of performance to impress God or to try to, to, try to impress others. Let Christ be your confidence. And he makes this, this key verse in, in verse 8 is really what, it's, what we're going to put down the anchor where he says, I count anything that was gained to me. I count it as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and, and may share in his sufferings. And then he doesn't bring works back into it. He just goes, and, and by just trusting in Christ in just some way, in just some way at the end of it all, I'm going to attain the resurrection from the dead. So he doesn't bring it in like if I'm going to attain it by my good works. It's just like, I don't know, this is just a mystery of the gospel that all I have to do is trust in the work of Christ and follow Christ and let him be number one in my life. And, and wow, he is faithful in my life. And he comes through at the end and then somehow I have the resurrection of the dead. And he just glories in the gospel. And there's two things I want you to know this passage brings out. The first one is this. Folks, our confidence must be in, must be Christ. Our confidence must be Christ. Paul was so jealous for this church to make their confidence Christ over their works. That he just cries out and he says this. Look at verse 2. He says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. This sounds like a parent with a 15-year-old in the car when they're driving. Look out for that. Look out for that. Look. That's how I was with my 15-year-old. What he's basically saying is look out for the dangers. Be careful. Swerve. Watch. Guard your life against this. Because it will wreck your faith. If you buy into what they're saying. 
And he lists, hey, if anyone thinks that righteousness could be gained by the law, I would have attained it. I would have attained it. And he said, bring him up. Anyone up here, bring him up and start boasting about what you've done for God, what you think you've done for God. He says, if you bring anyone up, I have all the more confidence. Look in verse 5. Actually, between verse 5 and 6, he's going to use a uh, rhetorical style that, um, that is based in perfection. The, the key number in, in the scriptures of perfection is seven. And Paul uses seven elements to prove that if righteousness could be gained by his obedience or by, by his works, he deserved it. Look at that in verse 3, he says, or verse, uh, verse 5, excuse me. He says that he was circumcised on the eighth day. That was in obedience to the law. He was of the people of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to the law, he was a Pharisee. That was all his background. His race, his family, his lineage, his social position, his power, his opportunities, his schooling. He had all those going for him. Some of which he applied himself to, most of which were none of his choice. He was just born into a, a family that was in a community that had the opportunities to do that. Secondly, in verse 6, he says, this is what I've done. This is, these are my accomplishments. Where he talks about, uh, he was zealous as, as to the law. Zealous. He pursued the law. He persecuted the church because he believed with all his heart that they were contrary to the Old Testament scriptures. And then, to, to the law blameless, he actually followed the law. Uh, I mean, note for note, in his own life, there was an area where he took this very seriously. He wasn't flippant with his faith. And, and what he was saying is, look, these things, these things from your background to your performance, to your accomplishments, to your self-image that promotes you and, and makes you feel confident in life, these things place the emphasis on us at the expense of Christ and others. And they breed a sense of entitlement with God versus a heart of humility. And they wreck your relationship with God and with Christ. They, they kind of... Um, they kind of can get personal if you think about there's things in our lives. No, not a, not a true angle of circumcision on the eighth day. I mean, or anything like that. But, but there's some similarities into what bolsters confidence in all of us that, that when we get more of, we don't have more of Christ. You know, what, have you ever asked yourself, what robs your heart of God? Paul addresses these things here. Let, let me share a few that, are, that I, I gather from this passage and I know are very, very true in my life. Here, one thing that robs my heart for Christ is when an evil thing gains ground. He says, watch out for the evildoers. You know, this is, this is something, you know, what are we watching? What are we saying? What are we thinking? What are we listening to? What am I allowing into my life that with a slow and steady progression will erode truth and righteousness? 
That's what evil does. It erodes the truth of God and the righteousness of Christ. What is that that's evil in my life? Evil gets a bad rap. We don't like the word evil. But, but there's a lot of evil things out there. And there's a lot of evil things we as Christians just tolerate. And, and we just let into our lives and we, we, we um, not just bolster them with, with an excuse. Oh, it wasn't that bad. Have you ever used that one? Or everyone's doing it. This is what high schoolers do. This is what college students do. This is what single guys do. Do We use those things, but in reality, it's an evil thing gaining ground in our lives, robbing you of more of God. Another thing that robs you from the heart, uh, uh, your heart from Christ is, is that when a neutral thing becomes an obsession. And this is kind of the whole angle. There's a ton of neutral things out there. And if you're not careful and you want your confidence to be your works, you're getting upset with me already. You're going neutral things. Come on. Hishma, just talk about the evil things. But when a neutral thing becomes an obsession, then we realize, whoa, my heart. We're getting right at the heart. That's the target of our lives. The heart is the target of Christ in our lives. He wants your whole heart. And when a neutral thing becomes an obsession, what I'm talking about is, is like, I love sports. And, and I love the Green Bay Packers. And that's a neutral thing. Because if you love the Steelers, I'm not going to, well, maybe I'll preach a, a message that the Steelers are really wrong to, to do. But I just don't see it in a biblical angle. From a biblical perspective, it's neutral. It's neutral. But when the way I treat my wife and the way I handle my children is dependent on how a 20-something handles a piece of leather, then it becomes an obsession. And I'm using it to compromise my walk with Christ and my heart for Christ. When a neutral thing becomes an obsession, you rob your heart from Christ. Whether it's Facebook whether it's work, whether it's hobbies, whether it's gadgets. Whenever a neutral thing becomes an obsession, that robs my heart from Christ. When a good thing becomes a God thing, my heart gets robbed for Christ. This is, this is things like my family or my future of my children or of work or of income or of pleasure, or my reputation. You see, when I want to advance these things at the expense of obedience to Christ, when I am more concerned about how my child is doing academically than I am about the heart of my child for Christ, my heart is robbed for Christ. When I am so concerned about the athletic performance of my boys or when I'm so concerned about who they're hanging out with or what kind of friends they ought to have or the opportunities they'll have in the future and I'm more concerned about that than their spiritual future, my heart is being robbed for Christ. And we need to realize this. Food is a good thing. 
But when food becomes my God, and when I go after and I'm thinking about, what will I have? Oh, I can't wait to have this. And I leverage it all for food, and it gets out of control in my life. It's become a God thing. Your children can be gods. They can. They're little yous. And, and the reality is, is when a good thing gets out of balance, it becomes a God thing, and it robs your heart from Christ. I'm going one step further. When a godly thing becomes prideful, when it becomes a source of pride, and I've seen this, I've seen this in the church. People who, who are so proud of how much time they pray, how much time they're in the word, what style they use to study the word, how much they're involved in ministry, counting the hours, counting and and looking on it to 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 have confidence like i'm a true believer because of this what paul is saying if you have all these godly things but you do not have christ you've lost you've lost that's what we can do if we're not careful even the greatest things that are godly acts before the lord when they become our confidence, you just your heart is robbed for Christ. So Paul's going to say, look, your heart, Christ needs to be your confidence. The only way you have a chance with him is when you trust in him. He's the only one who can save you. Your good works aren't, aren't, don't bring you in and they don't keep you in. Your good intentions, your kind thoughts, all those things are great and all those are godly. But when it comes down right to it, the only reason I stand before God is because of Christ. He's my confidence. He's, he's the only thing I've got. And you can only have this confidence in Christ if you remember the second point of this passage. And that is your comparison must be Christ. See, we're tempted to look around us and to, and to form a grid in our minds that says, look, I, I may not be just like Jesus, but I'm a whole lot better than David Henkel. And we make the comparison. And, and it doesn't have to be that. It may not be a name, but you may even look at people and go, boy, a lot of people are really bad in this world. I'm better than half of them. I was in, in, in my economy... Jesus owes it to me to save me because I'm better than half the people in this world. And I live in the United States of America. (laughs) No, we can't do that comparison with anyone except Christ. Look at verse 8. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ. What's your life gauge? What's your life gauge right now? Who, what do you use to compare your life? You know, for so many years in my life, I would compare someone I looked up to 
with my life. I looked up to a, a business leader as a child. And I wanted to be just like him. And so I wanted to go into accounting because I wanted to be just... He was an accountant. He worked in a big eight firm. And I wanted to be like him. I wanted the opportunities like him. And so I pursued accounting. Went to the same University of Wisconsin Whitewater Extension he graduated from because I was just wanted to be like him. And, and I would compare my life and, and my whole process. I got to the end of my senior year at University of Wisconsin. I thought, I hate accounting. I mean, I love accountants. I just hate accounting. And, and the real, realization of that is I had compared myself to the wrong thing. Like I was never meant for my life to be compared with. And when I realized it really wasn't me after all, there was a huge time of loss and of despair. What have I done all these years? And, and we're not called, we're, we're, and the scriptures call us away to comparing our lives to other little life gauges, people around us that we want to be like. It can be parents, it can be peers. Your, your performance, whether it's average, and we want to be in these, we want to be average to superior. And, and there's always something that we want to be superior so that there's always something that builds in us. I'm better than them. I'm better than them. And, and you may go, okay, I'm not as good singer, but man, I, I can preach really good. Whatever it is that we compare ourselves to that destroy our heart for Christ. And here Paul says, we count everything Everything that you think you can stand on as loss compared to the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, my Lord, in whom I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. It's a good English name, isn't it? Rubbish. That is a kind word to the original Greek. The original Greek in this, this is the only time in the scriptures this word is used. And it's used to get a rise out of everyone who heard it. It was somewhere between the word poop and you know what I'm talking about. And he only used it once. And he wanted us, he wanted everyone to go, when he said it. And I'm not going to say the word here, okay? Do you want to know what it is in Greek? (laughs) It's exactly what the scripture, skubala. Scubala. He wanted, I count all things as scubala in order that I may compare to Christ. And we need to do that. We need to count all those things that we think are impressing God, that are impressing others, giving us a good name apart from a Christ follower. That's the only name we should be concerned about. Am I a Christ follower? What would Christ think of this? What, what does this mean? What's the value of what I'm doing to Christ? He's the one. He's the one. He's my comparison. Nothing else. Nothing else. Everything else. Scubala. So some of you have a wall and it has all your diplomas. And it has all your pictures of your accomplishments and your medals. I call it the I love me wall. Okay? When you see it, you just need to go scuba compared to knowing Christ. Some of you put all that time and energy 
into your 401, which now is a two and a half, 201k statement or whatever it is account you've got, and you're concerned about it and you're worried and you're comparing how many years until retirement or, oh no, I've retired already. Count that as scubala, that you might know Christ. That you might know Christ and know him more during this financial downturn. Some of you were passed up on the, on the uh, job promotion. Some of you got the job promotion. And you think you're at the best, most productive, most fruitful time in your year. You have to come down to the point where you counted as scubala in order that you might know Christ. These are all things that can get in the way. They are good things. Tish was not talking about his message here. I'm talking about myself in the third person. I'm not talking about, you know, these things are bad things. These are good things that can go God things in a second. If we do not compare our life to Christ. We've got to have a really quick thing when something becomes more important than it's intended to be just to go scubala, scubala, scubala. I count it as rubbish, as dung, as whatever. And what do you do when you see that stuff? Do you want to go, my precious? No, you don't. You want to go, oh, is that disgusting? When someone steps in it, do you go, well, all right, who stepped in it? There needs to be that quickness of which we go, that's out of balance in my life. That is not godly. That is a good thing gone a God thing. I need to step back. I need to be repulsed by it if that's what happens. And what we find ourselves is people just hanging on to the wrong things. Where if the economy of God could come to earth and just change it into scubala, we'd walk away from it, right? We just have hearts that like scubala right now. We need to be willing to step away from it and call it, see it through the eyes of Christ. This is a total appraisal, a, a reappraisal of all things. Do you realize how revolutionary this text is? It's of, it's of which we got our whole thing and our whole focus this summer. It's that we would appraise all things compared to Christ. See what's happening? God is about a total transformation in us. A total transformation. And when my comparison must be, when my comparison is Christ, this is what happens. See, compared to Christ, my past, all those things, my accomplishments, my background, when Christ becomes everything to me, when, when I praise everything on him and I'm compared to him and he is my confidence, my past is lost in his future. See, have you ever done something or have you ever, like, I'll pick up a basketball every once in a while and I'll play around, Okay. Have you ever played with a professional? I'll golf from time. Have you ever played with a professional golfer? I've thrown the ball back and... Have you ever played with a major league player? Ever hear that ball just come whizzing by? Grab, you catch it, and you go, thank the Lord, I caught it. And your hand stings because it was thrown at around 70, 80 miles an hour, and it was thrown right to your mitt. You just want to go, I got nothing. Got nothing. Done playing. I, I just have come here to watch you play. That's, that's what our lives need to be. When you look at 
Whatever past you have and however value it can give you, the confidence it could give you now. I graduated from Harvard and me, 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 me. You can go through all that compared to the future you have in Christ. Nothing. Nothing. Lost. Lost. My past is lost. In the future, Christ has given me. He has given me. And somehow we attain through Christ the resurrection of the dead. What's this life? That's what it is. It's a mist that appears for a while and disappears. What's your time here? You're not going to go to heaven. Oh, I lived for 85 years on earth. Man, this was my life. When Christ says, look at the real one I've got for you now. That's from riches to accomplishments to image. We're all shown. Can you match eternity? Can you match the time with Christ that you're provided? No. You got nothing. Secondly, my gains, whatever you think you've gained, when you compare yourself with Christ, they're lost. They're lost in his greatness. Do you realize you will never get bored of more of God in heaven? Never. Eternity will be countless opportunities for you to explore, you to adventure, to to have probably more senses than you have now in the realm of a perfect creator around you who's showing and, and revealing more and more truth and wonder and glory to you in heaven. And whatever you've got, your diploma, your medals, yeah, thank you. Thanks for the country. But in the realm of eternity, your gains are just lost in the greatness of God. You got nothing. You got nothing. But you have everything in Christ. My performance is lost in the power of God because I believe when you compare yourself with Christ, you're going to realize everything that happened on the cross. That's why it's such a threat to your heart if you think you can earn your salvation. It's such a threat to your relationship with Christ if you think you can be good enough, if you think you can come to church and earn it, if you can give enough in the offering, you can earn it. If you think you just got to measure up to one little point better than 50% of the population before God says you're in. Folks, all of that is nothing. Your performance is lost. Because ultimately what saves you is the power of God through Jesus Christ. And when your comparison is Christ, it's only what he did for me. Nothing. I got nothing. Just say that to him. Why should you? I got nothing. I got nothing. I have Christ. He's your comparison. And we talked about what what robs your heart for Christ. Let's talk about, because I think Paul really talks about it. What grows your heart for Christ? He says this. Look at this. He says, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Look at this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and I might share in his sufferings. Those three things are byproducts of what you have in Christ. Earlier when we read that, that we're the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, he says, and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. This is the picture. Those three things of the true circumcision that he talks about there, a circumcision of the heart, hearts that are worshiping in the Spirit, glorying in Christ, and putting no confidence in the flesh. We're taming the flesh. Let me just talk about these. When we worship the Spirit of God, Paul says that I may know Him. When, when we worship, we're saying, Lord, I want to know you more. I want more of you. Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, one of my favorite passages, says, this declares the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the strong man boast in his strength. Not let the rich man boast in his riches. But let he who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's what God wants. He wants you to know him and to understand him. So where, what are those environments that you are spending and investing your life to know God more and to understand him more? It's crucial. It's pivotal in your heart. If you go, I get it on, on Saturday evening at 5, from 5.20 to 6 something. <laughs> no, it's not enough. You're not going to know him, and you're certainly not going to understand him. It's, it's all through experience and through time, through energy, and through thinking through what this means to you. You've got to have time pursuing godly things that focus your attention on knowing him and understanding him. You've got to do that. It's going to require that. Uh, for me, that's the first thing I do in the morning. And it's almost like a um, behavioral conditioning. I get up, I put on the coffee, I go and I grab, I've got an English Standard Version Bible that's this, it's twice this size. I, I can't, it's really hard to preach with. But it's twice this size in big print so I can circle words and things like that. And it's made out of leather. And as soon as I smell it, it's almost like, okay, God, what do you have for me today? Can't wait to learn that next thing and I, I get in there and that's that's what gets my heart for the Lord. What is it that's helping us worship by the Spirit of God through understanding and knowing the Lord? How do we glory in Christ? Well obviously we're we're talking about him being your comparison. That you're not you're not comparing yourself with anyone except Christ. And and you want to know him and, but, but here it's saying the power of his resurrection. You know, that's, that's where I really glory in what it's all about. It's all about the power of Jesus in my life. The power that did not leave him in a grave, but the power of God that worked through him and rose him on the third day and has ascended into heaven and the power which now he's placed in me through the Holy Spirit. And it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus in my life. So if I'm going to glory in anything, I've got to glory in Christ. That's how I do it. That's where someone says, Joe, you're an awesome guy. I go, 
Thank you. I'm an instrument of God. That's all I'm at. That's, that's, I'm an instrument. That's what I want to be. It's not about me. And it's not about you. That's how we glory in Christ. We understand everything we have that's worthwhile, that's eternal, is only because of Christ. And then, because we live in a broken and fallen world, we're called to tame the flesh. Paul says we put no confidence in the flesh. How do we do that? Well, we deny ourselves to, father, to follow Christ. That's, that's what it's called, to tame the flesh. We deny ourselves in all those little things that we could have that, that are ruining and robbing our heart from God. And we'll turn from those things. Becoming like him. Becoming like Christ. And Paul could say this because Christ was his confidence. And Christ was his comparison. And folks, there's always something in us. You have it. And I have it. It's the flesh. And, and you can pride yourself that you don't struggle with what I struggle with. But you struggle with something else. I've seen Christians who pride themselves. They haven't looked at porn. They haven't gotten drunk. They haven't had foul language. But they are, they are sure self-righteous when they look at other people who do. They sure elevate their lives, think in some way, I'm a true Christian because of what I do. And folks, that will rob you. And I have seen others who've prided themselves on not being like those stereotypical Christians. And it's pride and it's the flesh in the same way. Anything that's more about you, more about your little wisdom, your little pipe dream, rather than the kingdom of God, is something you have to tame. Because out of control, it will rob you of a heart for Christ. You've got to count it as scubala. That's where it comes down to. Our confidence, our comparison. You see, when Christ is my confidence... When he is my comparison, my fascination with evil fades compared to Christ. Neutral things, they're, just, they're redeemed for Christ. Good things, they're in balance with Christ. And godly things, they just fuel a greater passion to know him and understand him more. So, as, as we just close here, is Christ your comparison? If he's not, do you see the case Paul is making here in the word? Ha, have you listened to the spirit speak through the word tonight? Because he's saying, really as a follower, Christ is the only one you need to compare yourself to. And can I just say, that is the most freeing thing in the rest of your life. Christ never changes. He doesn't go out of style. He's someone who's faithful and true. He's been calling people for thousands of years to himself. He's not changed. He's not a fad. He's not technology. He's not going to need an upgrade. Everything he provided was on the cross for you. That's the most freeing thing is to commit to yourself to someone who's unchangeable. Christ needs to be your your comparison. You need to repent if you haven't yet. Repent of, of what you're comparing yourself to, whether it's a person, whether it's an image, whether it's a style, whatever it is. And you need to compare yourself with Christ. Secondly, 
What's your confidence? Because I've found that I usually what my confidence is is what I'm comparing myself to. So if my comparison begins to be Christ, guess what I begin to have? I have more confidence in Christ. And I want that. So you're praying for more confidence in Christ? What, what do you need to call scubala and turn away from? Secondly, what do I need to call worthy of the gospel and engage it and experience it and advance it through my life? Let's just bow our heads as we consider the enormous call of the word of God in our lives. I know you've got a lot of things you're thinking about, but right now the issue is who are you comparing yourself to and who is your confidence? And, and the shout, the shout of Scripture is that it would be Christ. The call and the invitation, Jesus. It's all about him. Whatever you need to call scuba, call it right now. And run to Christ. Whatever is going to fan a flame of passion for the Lord, whether it's time with him to know him and understand him, whether it's glorying in him and not your own life, whatever you need to step away from to engage the gospel, to advance the gospel in your life, what does it need to be? Just name it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of truth in our lives. And we thank you that you just don't call us away from something and leave us alone and, and leave us empty. You call us away from those things that your word calls scubala in order that we might have more of you. So this is all a quest to have more of you. Because when we have you, we have everything. And when we have you, everything else is lost. So work up in this church. Work up in my life and in each life who has seen your word tonight. Work up a passion for more of you and less of ourselves. That Christ might be glorified. And we might advance your kingdom. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.